Good morning, everyone. Let me just sort myself out here a little bit. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity um, to share. I know, uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm a regular on the Friday night congregation. Um, and so get to come to Sunday morning every, uh, probably about once a month or so. Um, and so probably not often enough that I get to know a lot of people that come on here on a Sunday morning. But uh, I've enjoyed over the last, uh, last little while to get to know as many of you as I can. I'm a, bit, um, I'm a bit tired this morning, so if I rely on my notes a little bit, a fair bit, that, uh, that'll, that'll be why. But I'll try not to do that too much. Um, but yeah, as, uh, as Steve said, I am um, soon to depart uh, Melbourne and relocate to Cambodia uh, for a little while, and that's something that I'm doing with, uh, with World Vision, who I work with. Um, and it's something that I'm really excited about. I'm really looking forward to this, um, partly because Cambodia is a, a country that I love. Um, I've been there a couple of times, and I really enjoy my time there. I enjoy the people, I enjoy the culture, um, I enjoy the weather. I'm really looking forward. It's, the other day it was 37 degrees in Phnom Penh. Um, um, and raining a little bit. It is going into the wet season, so that's not a great thing. Um, but I really enjoy the fact that I'm going to spend time in Cambodia. Um, also, because I'm going to work on a particular project that World Vision runs, it runs it all around the, glo- around the globe. Um, and it's a program that I've been really excited about for a number of years. I got a little bit of a, t- a glimpse of it uh, in back in 2000 and, um, t- 2009, I think. Uh, I got to go to Peru, um, partly for holiday and partly for work. Um, and I was at a workshop there at a program called Citizen Voice in Action, which is basically all about communities being empowered to talk to their local government about the services that they're receiving um, and how they can work together with their local representatives of government to improve those services. Um, And so I'm really, really excited about the fact that I'm getting to go and to work on this particular program because it's something I've been um, really excited about. Um, and just to give you a bit of a snapshot of what this is, what the, this program, I suppose, is about, it's, it does things like, um, if we take uh, education, for example, um, a lot of uh, communities, particularly in rural areas in developing countries, don't realise that there might be a national standard for how many teachers they should have in relation to students. Like, see, here we have a, a teacher-student ratio that we're all aware of, and classes, class sizes should be so big. Um, same thing might be happening in a country like Cambodia, but are our communities aware of, of this particular standard? And, um, and then they can start to learn about those things, measure what's going on in our community, and then have conversations with the government. Oh, did you, did you know we have one teacher for 75 students here? Um, you know, how, how do we actually work together to make this kind of happen? Um, Similarly, sometimes one of the things I've heard a lot about in, uh, in particularly in the education in places in Africa more, uh, more predominantly is that there are often parents who really want to send their kids to school um, and they know that education is important, they know that education is a step up out of poverty um, and so they want this for their kids but they can't afford the daily, way, the daily fee that they have to send with their child to pay the teacher each day um, and so they don't send their child. Um, and it's that, but this, there's an issue here in the sense that well actually the teachers are actually paid by the government. There isn't supposed to be a daily wage to go a daily fee to go to school. Um, and so in some circumstances, teachers are playing on the ignorance or the lack of information that a community may have. Um, and so there's important conversations that need to happen to help communities be given the information that they need, uh, so that they can assess what's going on in their own circumstances and then try and um, have the conversations that they need to, to make a difference. Uh, similarly, maybe a health clinic 
or something like that. A health clinic may get a delivery of medical supplies once a month, but you know, by the third week every month, the, their resources run out and they have to sit there and wait and, and for, the, for the next delivery in a week or so's time. Um, you know, doesn't the government realise that things run out um, after three weeks? Uh, how do we have those conversations? How, how do you actually talk to people in the health department? Um, so they're the kinds of work, the, the kind of work um, that uh, that I'm going to hopefully be involved in a little bit, and it's just like I can only do so so much um, in this six month pr um, program. So we're working a lot with the Cambodian staff there who've been doing this a lot longer and seeing what I what I can contribute to the work that they're doing. So um, I'm really excited about it, and the reason why is because um, the. The kind of work this is that this does, the kind of work this program is about, is real kind of restoring the relationship between um, citizen and their government. It's about trying to rebuild a relationship that has actually been broken down uh, there between two groups of people. Um, for me, poverty and injustice around the globe is, um, at its core, about broken relationships. Um, it's about relationships that happen in our society that are, that are broken down and so, and they're not functioning the way that we would want them to. Um, poverty is, is about where people have broken relationships with their government or broken relationships with each other or with their land or with God. Um, it's about when, when the, the kind of the way that our society could be working together is halted um, because people are not able to, uh, to, to work together in the way that we, that we would want them to um, or that we would like to. And so, broken relationships. You know that you need positive relationships to have uh, trust, uh, to have connectedness in a society, to have, um, to have hope and joy in the way that you work together and things like that. And so a lot of about, um, about poverty alleviation and what the work of an organisation like World Vision is actually working to try and rebuild the relationships that have actually been halted due to a bunch of other things. It could, be, could have been conflict, it could have been ethnicity, it could have been a bunch of history um, that has gone on. Um, and stuff needs to be unpacked a little bit so that relationships can start to heal and mend and that progress can be made. So if, uh, at its core for me, poverty is really about broken relationships. And so the work that we're doing at the moment is really great because it's about trying to rebuild that relationship between community and, about, and, and, and with government. Um, and there's, one of the things for me that's really interesting about that is that you can only rebuild relationships um, if people... Uh, have that desire to, to actually have that desire to actually be connected back into relationship. Um, and it's also very much about what people believe about themselves. Um, if people don't believe that they are in, an equal player in a relationship or something like that, then it's not really going to get much better, is it? Um, you know, there's, there's kind of barriers there that, and it comes back to the way people perceive themselves and their role within society. Um, I, I remember a number of years ago, um, when I was soon out of high school, I went and spent, um, uh, a couple of summers in Canada working on summer camps, um, and had a bunch of, um, teenage guys who I would be working with and kind of leading and, and mentoring, I suppose, every week. And I remember coming across so many of these young guys who, believed all sorts of things about themselves, and uh, for me, sometimes their perspective of themselves was actually a little bit skewed and would be different to what God would believe about them. Um, I remember one guy in particular, he was uh, like a 14-year-old boy, his name was Lee. He was part of the, uh, one of the First Nations in Canada, or like in Canada's, Canada's Indigenous community. 
Um, he was from a very poor, um, low socioeconomic background, um, and he'd kind of basically had taken on board for himself a bunch of the things that society told him, that he was basically kind of, you know, this is your status, this is what you're, this is what you're like, this is what your future is going to be like, you just stay there and that'll, be, that'll, that'll work for you. And he had this kind of deal with, the, with people around him where you guys kind of be, sit over there and I'll sit over here and we'll try not to interact as much as possible. Um, like, this is, they had, there was a really broken relationship with, between him and the people around him. And he would sit there with a hoodie um, and ear, ear, earphones in all the time just to try and so he didn't kind of get drawn into interaction with people a little bit too much. Um, and I remember thinking and, and talking with him, getting to know him over a week and just seeing the amazing opportunities that there was, not only for me as his leader but for other people around, to start to kind of remind him a little bit about uh, of the good things about him. And we kind of draw him out through just games and interactions and stuff like that and find out the things that he was good at and the, th- the things that he enjoyed. Um, and you start to see, see, you started to see a different side of Lee and you started to see an opportunity for him to engage with the people around him in a very different, different way. Um, so for me, restoring relationships is very much about people, how people think about who they are. Um, I want to uh, jump into uh, some scripture this morning, and I want to look specifically about um, a parable that Jesus told. If you have a Bible or something there, if you want to jump to um, Luke 15, uh, for those who uh, have heard me speak on, particularly on Friday nights, you know uh, that I really enjoy the parables of Jesus. I really uh, love kind of digging into them and learning from them and seeing what else I can, what, what um, you know, what lessons there are. I mean, Jesus told these stories for a reason. He did. He told amazing stories, and they're so powerful. The way that they cut through kind of um, social barriers and the way they cut through um, people's assumptions about who they are and things like that. And so, I wanted to talk specifically this morning. Uh, about uh, the parable of the two sons, which is in Luke 15, uh, verses 11 to 32. Um, actually, I wonder, this is um, a bit bold, but does anyone want to volunteer to maybe come and read that parable for us? Anyone at all? I can run. Yeah? we got two? Okay, <laughs> back to Dan. Michael, would you mind? Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got up together after... Uh, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, who sent him into f- to, f- to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them, What was going on? Your brother has come, they replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother because uh, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been saving, slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But when he had, but we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks for that. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, uh, I assume many of us have heard this parable um, many, many times. Uh, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son, um, although that neglects the fact there's actually two sons that this parable is about, so I usually try and call it that parable of the two sons. Um, it's something that we've all probably heard many evangelistic um, talks, many, uh, um, you know... Uh, kind of talking about the fact that, you know, you can go, like people who go away from God and, and, and sin and live for themselves all the time could always come back. Um, and I think that's de- definitely a really powerful message that is in this parable. But uh, I wonder if there's something else that we can actually draw out from this parable this morning. Um, and I think for me, this parable is really about Jesus telling a story about two sons who have particular perspectives about who they are. They have particular beliefs about themselves. They have particular stories about themselves that they've bought into. Um, and so just kind of let's have a look at the, the two of them a little bit. The first son uh, initially is the one that we come, that we're, is we're introduced to, and we're, we hear about him a lot more. The first son really uh, is, believes that his father is somehow holding him back. Um, the first son believes that his, that his dad is just kind of in the way um, and that all the things that he could be achieving in his life could be achieved so much easier or, could, or so much quicker if, if, uh, if dad would just move on and he would just give, like, give me my share of the inheritance. I'm going to go and, and, and do things myself. Uh, he's pretty self-confident. He's fairly drawn by popularity and the way he, could, he can relate to other people. And so basically he takes what he thinks is his and he leaves. Um, but obviously we know that not long after that he realises uh, a little bit more of the truth of the situation um, and that what he had with his father was actually not that bad um, and that he decides to, to head back um, and, and, and seek some sort of mercy from his father to be employed um, in, in the homestead. Uh, 
But you know what happens when the father sees him coming along and, and runs out to meet his son. And the son kind of falls on the ground and starts to, starts to go into his rehearsed speech of, you know, my father, father, I've sinned against you, you know, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son, just make me like one of your employees. And the father won't have a bar of it. The father says, no, what are you, what are you talking about? You're not, you're not an employee, you're my son. Uh, nothing that you can do can change that. Um, you know, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done with the money or all those kinds of things, Nothing changes the fact that, that my, my blood runs through your veins. Uh, nothing can change the fact that you are my son. Uh, you can never be an employee of mine um, because you can't lose that sonship uh, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you've, far you've gone. So the father kind of reminds his son of who he is. <clears throat> he reminds his son of his sonship and of his story. He corrects this son's perspective um, of, of where he's landed in life. If we then move on to the second son, the second son can hear celebrations starting at the house and he's working in the field um, and he starts to wonder what this is about. And uh, this son, he, he's a very interesting kind of, uh, kind of character. He's, he has a very personal and very strong stake in his family's homestead. He's been working really, really hard for the success of, of the business, of the family. Um, he has this real sense of obligation to keep things going strong. Um, and so uh, he's, he's, this, he's quite furious when this other son, who's been so frivolous with the wealth of the family, comes back and he is welcomed. Uh, and he's welcomed and celebrated, and he can hear dancing and singing, and the, fat, and, and the calf that they've been saving for a special occasion is killed, and he would be so annoyed because that son, he, what my, his brother hasn't really been like he has, but, you know, doing the right thing, trying to make sure that he's uh, grounded in the, right, in, in, in the right kind of actions. He's done everything right. He's you know, obeyed his father, and he's, um, he's worked to make sure that the homestead is going well, and you, know, you would be furious. You would be uh, really annoyed. And uh, he breaks down before his father, so confused about this whole situation. He breaks down before his dad and says, what, why would you celebrate this? This son of yours has gone and wasted everything, and I've been here slaving. I've been here working so hard, yet I can't even, I, I can't even enjoy one of these goats with me and my friends. He's so close to the wealth and riches of his father and his father's house, but he doesn't feel like he has any grasp over it at all. He doesn't feel like he has any stake in it. He doesn't feel like he's actually a son. He feels like he's like a manager of the business or something like that, and he's owed a little bit more. And his father, again, reminds him of who he is. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Um, again, the father stands over his son and corrects his perspective. He says, you are my son and no matter how hard you work, you can't earn any more sonship. You can't earn any more place in this family. You can't earn any more right uh, to be called my son. And so you have this example where the father is basically reminding his two sons of who they are, um, and he's reclaiming them uh, as their son, as his son. Two sons who have very broken relationships with their father both need reminding about who they are. And uh, I think most of us can identify with one or the other of these sons, and often both of them. Um, at different points in our lives, we can figure out how the, the exact emotions and the senses, the feelings that are, are going on for, for either of them. Um, and we have that amazing reminder here in this parable that we are always uh, children of God. We are sons and daughters of God, and nothing that we do can change that. No matter how hard we 
you work, we can't earn it, and no matter how far we go, we can't lose it. It is there. And the role of the Father in this parable is reminding us of who we are. The question for me is, is that kind of the end for that parable? Do we, do we identify ourselves with one, of, one or the other of the sons and then, and then say, and, and figure out, okay, this is, this is who we are, and, and then move on? I think one of the things in, in, in this parable that often gets forgotten is the fact that all throughout Scripture, um, we are reminded as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to become like the Father. Um, that Jesus is always teaching us about how to be more like him and to be more like God, and exude more of the character and the love and the peace and the joy of God. And I think in this parable there is an opportunity for us uh, to think about who are we supposed to be like? We can see ourselves in both of these sons, but who should we be striving to emulate? And for me, I think it's the Father. It's the role of the Father. As the, as the church becomes engaging the world around us, the role for us to take on is the role of the Father in this parable where we go out to people who have skewed perceptions of themselves, skewed perceptions of who they are and the story that they, are in, that they hold about themselves and try to retell that for them, remind them of who they are. And we step into that, to that, to that Father role and say, you know what? You're a child of God, and nothing that you can do can change that. And nothing of the situation around you takes that away from you. Uh, for me, working in the area of uh, like international development and, and poverty alleviation, this is so important because our globe, our society, tells people so much about themselves. Uh, a few years ago, I spent a little bit of time in India, and for people who have been there, you'll know that India has a really strong class system, a caste system, and what caste you're born into basically determines the rest of your life, um, whether or not you are valued in, in, the term, in, in the broader society, whether or not you're going to get a good education, whether you're going to get employment, um, what kind of things you should hope for and dream for. And society has kind of dictated this for you from the, from the get-go based on the colour of your skin and, your, and, and what caste you're drawn into. In that kind of situation, we have this opportunity for the gospel to come along and say, you know what, that's not who you are. You are so much more than that. You are a child of God. And everything that, people, that, that God has for you is right in front of you. Nothing you can do can lose the fact that you're a child of God. And even though you're working so hard to try and achieve more, you can't actually earn the fact that you are a child of God. This is who you are. This is your true identity. And I think it happens here as well. We remind ourselves, even here in Melbourne, when you see that there are so many people who, for me, can remind me of that older son who are working so hard to achieve something more for themselves, to climb a corporate ladder, and they're pushing everyone else down to try and get to the top. Because if they get to the top, they will somehow achieve this, um, the, the keys to the kingdom somehow. And, and, and the father here in Jesus' parable, says, you know what, you've already got the keys to the kingdom. You're already a child of God. You can't earn being a, child, a son or a daughter of God. Um, I even think of uh, something that's been a little bit more, more real in Cambodia is the issues of human trafficking, particularly into, uh, into the sex trade and into um, labor, uh, like your agriculture and things like that. And I think often of the people who have been trafficked 
uh, a young girl that's been trafficked into a brothel um, and against her will without doing making any kind of choices is all of a sudden given the label of whore and that's all she'll ever be. That's the label that's put on her and the society will see her as that. And so even if she's plucked out of this particular situation of being trafficked, then she becomes victim. She's got a new label that she has to wear before, before her society. And the power of the gospel here is that comes and cuts through these labels and says, you know what, you're not that and you're not that, you're a child of God and that can always be true for you. So what I think the, the exciting thing for us is the church, whether we're here in Melbourne or as whether we're here or we're over in Cambodia or wherever it is, that we have the power of the gospel um, that cuts through the labels and, and beliefs that people have about themselves and cuts through the broken relationships that are maintained by the fact that people believe have, have like wrong perspectives of who they are. And we can take on that role of the father in that parable and remind people of their true identity. I uh, have a DVD that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, and it's a, for me, it's a, it's a fantastic imagery of, of this parable in practice. And I hope as you, as you watch it, you'll get to see a little bit of what I mean. You'll get to see some of this parable playing out in real life. Um, the DVD is um, from a friend of mine, Levi McGrath, who's a singer, and he's written a, a song about time that he, he and his wife spent in Uganda. Um, I don't know if people have been aware lately, there's been a little bit more noise around um, a, uh, a particular war criminal named Joseph Kony. Um, who led what was called the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda. This is, in Uganda has gone through um, decades of civil conflict and over the last um, late 90s and early 2000s, the Lord's Resistance Army was um, kind of recruiting and kidnapping children from their home uh, and taking them to fight in a conflict. Um, they were forcing them to be soldiers. And the way that they would actually start this process is after they've kidnapped a bunch of children, they would break their relationship with their family and their village by forcing them to do something horrific, something violent, probably against their own family. These children uh, would have uh, a sense of the fact that they don't have a home anymore because they can't go back to there because they've done terrible things. Um, and this... Uh, this video, um, I think, is a fantastic story about the power, the power of retelling someone's story. Thanks, Josh. Hi, my name's Levi McGrath. In 2009, my wife Megan and I got to travel to northern Uganda, where we worked for five months at World Vision's Rehabilitation Centre for Former Child Soldiers in Gould. It was at that centre that we met a young man by the name of Justin, who was just 17 years of age. Two days before we left Uganda, Justin invited my wife and I on a really special trip. We got to accompany Justin in returning to his home village where World Vision was reuniting him with his family for the first time in nine years. Most of his family thought that he'd passed away. Sadly on that day as we arrived in a Justin's village with 40 members of his family eagerly awaiting his return, Justin found out that both his mother and father had passed away from HIV, AIDS and malaria. Amazingly though, Justin's 92-year-old grandmother was still alive and was going to take care of him. It was that day that we saw a young man hardened by war, trained not to cry, burst into tears as his 92-year-old elderly grandmother not walk but run towards him. And as he embraced his grandmother for the first time in these nine long years, his tears of joy started to stream down his face. 
This is Reunions. saw that clip um, not so long ago and it was just after I'd been thinking a lot about this about this parable and I couldn't help but just to see all the imagery um, in there you know the 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 grandmother kind of rushing down the path towards to see her her grandchild Um, the way that she danced the way that her father and the household would have when um, when the son arrived Um, the way that when Justin was coming back he didn't really know what kind of reception he was going to receive um, he'd been involved in a terrible conflict, been forced to do terrible things. He didn't know whether he was welcome necessarily. He didn't know whether his sonship was still there. Um, but when he came back and he found out, you know what, this is, I am still part of this community and nothing that I've done in my past can actually get rid of the fact that I am a child of this community. And I, I was so amazed when I watched that and I kind of went, wow, this parable that Jesus um, told uh, 2,000 years ago has such powerful meaning for us today as we start to 
work with, with people around us and people around the globe to try and remind them of, back who, of, of who they are. Uh, I think as we, uh, you know, the church prays all sorts of dangerous prayers like uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and I think if we want to be serious about being stepping into that prayer and seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to start looking around the opportunities around us to start to, to do this kind of thing. Um, you know, we could, a lot of organizations are involved in uh, helping children who are involved in the, um, in the conflict in Uganda integrate back to their family. And you could just see it simply as integrating children back into their family, simple as that. But, um, but uh, for me and for us and for World Vision, this is more than that. This is actually more about restoring relationships that have been broken, restoring the things that have been torn apart um, by evil, by hate, so that God's reconciliation and God's restoration can actually sweep through. Um, and I believe that's God's kingdom breaking into this world. Um, and so for me, I think the struggle as I go to uh, uh, Cambodia for a little while is that I'm going to have plenty of days. I'm going to be sitting in an office um, working with people who speak a different language to myself and uh, you know, having lots of cross-cultural communication barriers and things like that and getting frustrated with different processes and why are we doing this when we could be over there doing that. And I'm going to have to struggle to remember the fact that... Um, that there's an opportunity for me each day uh, to be stepping into God's kingdom come on earth as we start to work to restore our societies around us. Um, and here in Melbourne, we have that same opportunity. We can either we're just doing our thing or we're a part of retelling uh, the story of sonship to the people around us. So my encouragement for you uh, this morning is uh, that you just think around the opportunities that you have in your life um, to be rebuilding relationships between different people and to be reminding them of who they are so that that restoration and reconciliation can happen. And also be thinking about the fact that you are a child of God and that nothing you do can actually ever change that. You can't earn it and you can't lose it. Why don't I just pray for us? Father God, we just uh, thank you and praise you for the stories that you've left us that still cut straight through to the reality of situations today, um, for the parables that Jesus told us, for how powerful they are and the truth that they hold, for the way that we can so, um, we, we can so often forget who we are, God, but, uh, but your gospel and your truth cuts straight through that and reminds us of our identity. And we pray, God, that as we as a church come to terms with the fact that we are your children, that we get so excited and energized by that, but we start, that we start to see that reconciliation around the world um, in things that are going on, that in the relationships we have with people at work, at the coffee shop that we frequent, in our family, that we can be working as agents of your kingdom uh, to be restoring those identities, re- retelling people's stories and remem- reminding them of who they are that they are your children, God. And so we praise you, God, for the fact that, uh, that you are still active in this world and reminding people of this, um, and that as we see things, you know, relationships restored here in Melbourne or as we see conflicts coming to an end in places like Uganda, that we can see your work and your kingdom breaking through. Amen.